It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 433 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week is another great doubleheader episode, and everything starts off with my fun interview with Sean McArdle from The Fuhrer and the Tramp, which is coming from Source Point Press. It's a comic book dealing with Charlie Chaplin, who decides to take on Hitler and bring some very well-known characters with him. It's a fun story with lots of adventure to it, and it's unlike anything that you're going to read, so I highly recommend it. Then everything concludes with my conversation with Ryan Magnan and Curtis Anderson from Pandemoni, who are creating Alternation, which is a franchise that includes comics and toys. It has to do with a top-secret government experiment that is designed to create the perfect soldier by blending human and animal genetic abilities. There's a Dark Horse comic that's come out, written by Tim Seeley as well, and it all focuses on the same characters, including Bomber, Sabotage, Alpha, El Rey, Dart, Albert, and Sham. There are videos you can see on the website as well, so this is one of those franchises I think we're going to be hearing a lot more from in the future. This interview was recorded a few months back, just when the pandemic was getting started, but all the information is still very timely, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy what they have to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. It's great to welcome to the podcast, Sean McArdle, the, one of the creative forces behind a really interesting comic called Fuhrer and the Tramp, which is a little different as far as comics goes. Uh, really interesting, of course, it has to do with Hitler and, and uh, Charlie Chaplin, of all things. How are you doing, Sean? Good. How are you doing, Wayne? Good. It's good to talk with you. I am just fascinated by this. There's so many things I want to ask about this. Uh, we'll start off with the Kickstarter. Uh, okay. You had a Kickstarter for this last year, and it was very successful, I noticed. You were asking for – I'm just call it up super quick here. You were looking for – what was it? Uh, it doesn't say. It says you got $9,588 from 200 backers, Yeah, which was about three times yeah, as much exciting. as you were looking for. Yeah, but that that must have been fun. It's, I have been involved with Kickstarters. I've talked with people about Kickstarters. You know, the old daily heart attack thing. Every day you're going, is somebody going to pledge today? What's happening? Oh, yeah. But it sounds like it was really successful for you. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, to, so if any of your listeners or you yourself, you want to start a Kickstarter, um, if, if you want a couple pointers, <laughs> I'm willing to give them to you. Okay. Um. Number one, and I, I see this, I see a mistake that a lot of people make. Um, number one, figure out what the the least that you amount, the least the least amount that you need, and that's what you set your goal to, toward. So for me, I think it was three grand, which was would have covered printing. Um, I I don't think that it's wise to look at Kickstarter as like funding the entire project. It should help you um, 
it, it, I use it more as a marketing tool, you know, mm. get, get, create awareness about the project. Uh, also to help supplement something like printing or, um, or just to help get you over like a hump or a hurdle. And I think that you should do it more toward the end. When, once you have the project completely finished, that way your uh, backers aren't waiting for your project for a year or more. Wise. Because there's so many people I know. I have contributed to several Kickstarters from years past that I have yet to see anything from. So yeah, yeah same I think that's so wise. And I didn't <laughs> want to do that to any of uh, my backers, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's good too. But anyway, it was really successful, and that's right away you've got uh, cred, street cred, as far as I'm concerned. If you can get a Kickstarter that does really well like that, that's super duper with those things. So let's talk about the Fuhrer and the Tramp. I, I, the first question I have about it, and of course, it has to do with Hitler and, and uh, Charlie Chaplin, as I said. How accurate is this historically? Is this kind of a, is this kind of a, you've, elaborate a little bit you filled in some of the gaps maybe and something that happened because i know he made a movie called the great dictator correct uh uh, basically that's about is there was a guy named hitler a guy named charlie chaplin and uh, he made a movie called the great dictator and that's about as historically accurate as as, you know there's there's varying degrees of uh authenticity throughout it um it's about as accurate as like braveheart (laughs) okay you know, which is to say, not accurate at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it was because I, I I was listening to some of the other interviews that you've done, and I was always fascinated by you know some of the things about it. Um, you were saying that this Hitler is not the Hitler that we often see. Like you know, uh, there's something about Hitler that engrosses us. I mean, there are channels on the television any time of the night or day I turn on, they're talking about Hitler for heaven's sakes, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm a little. I mean, I'm engrossed too. They're, one of the things that got me that, that I don't know, I, I'm always bringing this up to people because I didn't know it and I don't know if you know it. There was a black book, they called it, and it was set up if if the Germans had taken over England, that black book had all the people they were going to eliminate if they got when they got there. Oh, really? I, I didn't know that existed. I was shocked when I saw that on, on one of these shows and I just literally had to rewind and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what did you say? And so that kind of stuff, I, those kinds of things intrigue me. You know, then they talk about Hitler being a drug addict and all this kind of stuff. These, yeah. The Hitler legend just seems to grow and grow and grow. Your Hitler is a little more human, shall we say? Uh, I, I would say buffoonish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I tried to make him a buffoon. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because, you know, if you put that together with the tramp, you know, you've got kind of opposite ends, you know, different people kind of on the same spectrum. You know, both of them are popular. I mean, let's face it. Hitler is the, you know, rose up to be this massive dictator. And, you know, at the same time, Charlie Chaplin was extremely popular, you know, in in America on, on films and stuff like that. So here you had two very accomplished people shall we say and yet there are similarities between them which i found really interesting did you find that the case when you were putting this together did you see that there were similarities even though they seemed to be in different places in the world um yeah i definitely did um one of the things i i you know they're born uh in the same year they're born only a couple weeks apart which i found fascinating um and you know Hitler, um, his mustache he t- he took from Charlie Chaplin. You know there was no uh, bigger star than Charlie Chaplin at the time, and not, and not just that. 
Nobody had ever pervaded the consciousness of the entire planet like Charlie Chaplin did. Um, and so I think he was trying to tap into that. You know, he was trying to um, kind of tap into this um, um, myth that was that was already created, you know. Um, and I know that he was uh, he was a movie. Hitler was a movie fan and he was also um, supposedly a, a fan of, of Chaplin. But at the same time, Chaplin did show up in like some anti-Semitic literature where they called him a uh, a disgusting uh, Jewish acrobat. <laughs> I didn't know that. He pa- fashioned his mustache after Chaplin? Yeah. Really? I didn't know that. That's that's kind of astounding when you think about it. Well, I, you see, I don't know how apocryphal that is either, because also I heard, you know, I also read that he, uh, he had um, trimmed his mustache to fit the gas mask back in World War One, But... From pictures that I've seen, it was like he kind of adopted that much later. Like I think it was something that he, uh, like he didn't, he wasn't Adolf Hitler at the time. He was still like painter Hitler whenever he adopted that mustache, and he just yeah. kept it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. It's so different. I, I guess you know it, it, it's interesting how people do sort of look at pop culture and then kind of adapt something into them as some way of saying that I belong here. Right. Kind of stuff. So that that's that's I didn't know that. See, it's so interesting how much I learn about these things that whenever I talk with people or see stuff, I'm just always just, just curious about it. So I, I have to ask, of course, you know, since there there's it's got certain linchpins of real stuff and that you built the story around them. What was it about that 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 made this happen in in your mind? Is it, what was this kind of a story that you wanted to tell? Well, um. You know, it, it all started from uh, I um, I've worked on a lot of other people's books uh, in various capacities. And I had uh, come up with about I, I look back at it. There were six. There's a half a dozen projects that I that I did a fully um, produced issue one and then had a pitch um, and sent those around and, and you know, try to find a publisher. And uh, that um, that just wasn't working. And. I noticed the people that had success um, had a finished book that they were taking to uh, to publishers. And um, so I had decided that I wanted to um, finally complete something in my life instead of just have all these half done projects, you know, mm-hmm. all these projects I've abandoned and uh, some that represented me. Um, and uh, so my my the co-writer of the book is uh, John Judy, and uh, he had he, I had helped him with one of his books, and we uh, he's my best friend, and we we gel really well, and uh, I always enjoyed working with him on stories, even if it was his own story, um, and I, I love collaboration, so I was looking for a project I knew that he would be into, and um, something that was interesting enough to me that I thought I could handle this and get it done in like four issues, you know, instead of becoming some sprawling epic that was out of hand. And, um, uh, I had watched the, the movie, the interview. Do you remember that movie with Seth Rogen mm-hmm. uh, with Kim Jong-un and, and, uh, and at the time Kim Jong-un tried to ass- wanted to assassinate Seth Rogen. It was like mm-hmm. 2015. And, mm-hmm. um, he wanted to assassinate Seth Rogen. <laughs> I just, to me, that was ludicrous. I couldn't, couldn't wrap my head around that, that this world leader wanted to assassinate Seth Rogen. <laughs> of all I, people. Should, 
He should have watched the Green Hornet movie. He would have changed his mind. <laughs> well, I kind of look like Seth Rogen. I get confused with Seth Rogen a lot. And so, you know, it kind of made me scared, too. I might okay. end up getting assassinated. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so uh, I, um, I, was, I remember just uh, thinking about that. And I, I thought, you know what? How insecure do you have to be to not take a joke and want to assassinate Seth Rogen? Hitler didn't even try to assassinate Charlie Chaplin when he made The Great Dictator. And I was like, wait a minute. That would have been a really cool story if Hitler tried to assassinate Charlie Chaplin while he was making The Great Dictator. It's really interesting to me because you're telling the story and, and, and bringing in some elements to it that probably if we'd gotten to know these people, we would have found in them, you know, as we go along, it, it's because Chaplin to me was always a, a fascinating character. I mean, I would see there was a a wonderful movie called Modern Times that he did. Oh, I love that, it. Oh, I, I, my mom used to just she would die laughing watching this thing. You know, it was yeah. the corn, the cob. They were working so fast they could, couldn't leave, and so this cob of corn would shoot out in front of his mouth, and he'd have to eat <laughs> it while he was working and stuff like that. <laughs> And that see, all that stuff, Chaplin, the, the 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 beyond reality, making things silly, and but but he had a way of doing it that made it funny and interesting, and we related to him because you know he was out of his element. I mean, here's just all this terrible stuffs going on. To him. I mean, his body gets pulled through the machinery and all this yeah. stuff. And that, you know, <laughs> it's just an amazing thing, and of course. I have to say that to take on Adolf Hitler, of course, you know, Chaplin wasn't the only one. Not many people have seen it, but there's a Bugs Bunny cartoon where he met Hitler. Oh, yeah. So yeah it, um, let's see. Uh, was it Lubitsch? He, he did uh, He did a movie where he satirized Hitler, too. Um, but I think it was actually after The Great Dictator. Um, Chaplin was the first one. And, you know, we the United States wasn't in the war yet. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, German German uh, sentiment, and there's the American German Bund, and there was a neo or there was a Nazi party in the United States at the time. So yeah. it wasn't, um, it, you know, it wasn't an easy decision for him to make to do this, but you know, he felt compelled to, and um, and this was the first movie where Chaplin was not the tramp, where he did not hide behind the persona of the tramp, um, and. This is his first talking movie too, so he was taking a lot of chances and a lot of risks. Um, and I don't know, I, something about that just hit the romantic side of me. You know, I appreciated that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, honestly, creative people—if if you can do that kind of a thing—you you really get a sense of you know uh, uh, of the the willingness they are to you know go beyond their comfort zone to do right. things. And I, that was that's one of the things about this book, and I got the chance to read the the, the five issues. I just I, I was fascinated by it because you're also talking about that time because you bring in some well known names. Even people today know some of these people that uh, you bring in. The, the chaplain develops this group. It's like a team book on some levels. He brings in yeah. several of the people from that era. And some of them we know, and I think one of them is a doctor from Doctor Who. At one of the yeah, places. he is <laughs> John Pertwee. I, I was stunned when I saw him in there. I went, really? <laughs> well, so that, the reason, like, like you were asking, like, uh, what was the historical veracity of this uh, book? And a lot of them are based in you know pieces of fact, and um, that team is made up of people that were 
actually part of uh, exactly what they were called, the uh, Ministry of Ungenerally Warfare. Uh, it was a team that was not comprised of not just them. It was a lot of people um, that uh, um, they were put together to do like kind of behind the scenes wet work stuff during uh, World War II um, that Churchill had put together. And then after the war, that group became that led to MI6. Um, mm. And amongst that group uh, was Christopher Lee, John Pertwee, um, John Dahl, you know, the writer of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He was one of them, too. Um, and uh, Ian Fleming. And so, of course, the, you know, that's where Ian Fleming got a lot of his ideas for, you know, James Bond. Um, and then, uh, you know, I added Josephine Baker in there. Uh, she was in the French resistance. She wasn't part of that. Uh, she was an American expatriate and she was living in uh, Paris at the time. And she was uh, helping the resistance in France. Uh, so I decided to add her to it too. Cause I thought she was super cool. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't question. Then you got Hedy Lamar, Errol Flynn, Alfred Hitchcock, for heaven's sake. There's <laughs> a lot of familiar faces in there. And I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I've got to ask you because it, was it a challenge to write them in character, you know, sometimes like with Chaplin, I mean, just because he's that way on the screen doesn't mean he's necessarily that kind of person off camera. Right. How was that to, to, you know, cause we're familiar with their on camera personas and stuff. What was it like to write these people off camera? I mean, did, did some of that spill into who they were off camera? A little bit. Um, basically I, I spent a year doing research for this and like reading, uh, um, Errol Flynn and Hedy Lamar and Charlie Chaplin's autobiographies and even reading like a rise and fall of the third Reich and then a Hitler autobiography. Uh, I also read a lot of, um, or I watched all their movies and try to get a sense of who they were as people, but there, there got to be a point where they just became characters of mine, you know, where they, they kind of existed outside of who they probably actually were. And, uh, they, they just became my characters, uh, and th that's when it really became fun. That's whenever, you know, I felt like these characters were alive and talking to me and they weren't necessarily the characters that existed in real life. Although I had always go back and I had passages outlined and highlighted of in, in uh, those autobiographies, parts of their personality that I wanted to capture. But, um, but I, I didn't, I didn't want to, um, I wanted the, um, the past or the history of it. I wanted it to be a springboard. I didn't want it to be a weight. You know, I didn't want it to drag me down and I had to follow this. I wanted it to be a way that I could, you know, um, open my mind to all kinds of different things and different ideas. Yeah, because, you know, it, this, this interesting thing is because because they portray those people on camera, there's got to be some aspect of themselves that they can bring to the, the, the film. You know, they, they, it's not everybody can be, you know, the, not everybody is Alfred Hitchcock. You know, you can't. Right. He's got a very unique personality and, and you have to believe that there's at least some part of him that is, that lives in that kind that is that kind of person. Otherwise he couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, for that, you know, I was, I was basing that more off of uh in, in John actually wrote most of the Hitchcock parts. Uh, if I have to be honest, um, most of them, but uh, the Hitchcock that uh, was in the book was based more off of his monologues on uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents. <laughs> so his intonation and his speaking patterns and stuff, that's what that was mainly based off of. Mm. Well, it's a fun story. That's the thing that that's great about it is that yes, there are 
deadly serious things going on, but Chaplin still is Chaplin in that way. You know, he's, <laughs> you know, he, he has to write at a certain point and he has difficulty with the writing going on and stuff like that. What he, like we would imagine they would. And Errol Flynn is very much Errol Flynn. Oh, he's <laughs> so much fun to write. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's the, it, the great thing about these characters are they add different aspects to the group. You know, Flynn is the dashing adventure guy. You know, Chaplin is kind of the strategic mind in the whole business, which is, I found that interesting in him. And Hedy Lamar, of course, is, you know, the, the, the sex symbol who's going to, you know, she's going to make certain things happen wherever she goes. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, what, what appealed to me about uh, Hedy Lamar and why I used her was, um, was she herself, she was known as the most gorgeous, most beautiful woman on the planet at the time. But, she kind of resented it and she wanted to be known for her intellect instead. And she, um, she was a great inventor and uh, you know, it came out several years ago that uh, she had actually invented, she had a ton of patents and one of them was uh, basically the technology that led to Wi-Fi. So really? yeah. So she, that, that, that's what fascinated me about her was that, you know, she just wasn't a, a, a beautiful one you know, one of the most beautiful women to ever exist on, on this planet. She is also the smartest too. And I love that, uh, that dichotomy. It's interesting. Cause I, the, the, uh, the, uh, Terry Farrell who played Dax and deep Star Trek, deep space nine. Right. She, one time she was, I was at a, a convention where she was and a lady got up from the audience and said, don't you hate it when people fixate on your appearance all the time? So isn't that offensive? And she said, well, no, I spent a lot of effort on my appearance. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad when people like the way that I look, cause I do work on that. And the lady was kind of offended. <laughs> was yeah. Fun but that it, it's, but see women, I have this thing about women characters, men characters can be like Charlie Chaplin to Errol Flynn. There's this, uh, the Hitler, there's all these variations, but women, I don't think we've explored yet. The, the variety in women that we could. Oh, I totally agree with you. Um, and so that's, that's something that I'm always preoccupied with. Um, you know, and it's, I, tr I try not to write, a w write women characters myself. I try to write people, you know, um, we all have shared experiences and have shared fears and loves and hopes and desires. And, you know, uh, whether, and, and that's what, inter what interests me is the things that, um, we share in common, not, not, not our differences. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? Well, so. you know, I, the, but see, there's still shades of characters. I mean, we've done science, men have been scientists and you name it. They've, I, I, because men have been largely the focus for decades right. of, of storytelling, but women have not. And I, I, you know, they, they've been stereotypically, portrayed you know lois lane constantly getting in trouble superman has to right. rescue her all that stuff so it's nice when you say Hedy lamar is that way I, in, in the way that you present her is a much see that makes her 10 times more interesting to me well thank you yeah my my original idea whenever i put the team together was i was looking for a luke leia and han dynamic um so you know charlie chaplin was my luke he's a little Naive, he's not, you know, he's not as uh, cool as as Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn's obviously the Han Solo, you know, the the scoundrel. <laughs> and then uh, Leia would be Hetty. And, um, and I always found that fascinating, too, because that was coming out of the 70s. And, you know, I think that was, uh, 
Leia was a character that was very much a uh, feminist icon and that she wasn't the damsel that was waiting for the boys to save her. Whenever the boys came to save her, she's the one that had to save them. <laughs> she's the one that had to grab the blaster and shoot the hole and jump down the, down, down the, uh, down the garbage chute. Um, you know, she was um, uh, as aggressive and strong willed and wasn't afraid to just look Darth Vader in the face and, or in the mask and just tell him off or tell off Grand Marth Tarkin, you know, um uh but there there was one thing about about Leia just just as a side note whenever I finally let my uh, daughter you know I was saving it up she was 6 at the time and had her watch Star Wars she was so disappointed in the end of a new hope that Leia didn't get in an X-wing and go fly with the boys and you know what she was right she was right Lucas dropped the ball on that Leia should have been in an X-wing but you know on the other hand he did progress I think female characters he did definitely you know, we look at them now, we look back and we say, oh, they should have this and they should have that. But at yeah. that time, that was so ahead of you know the curve that, you know, I remember being sitting there going like, wow, look at what she can do. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. So it's, it's cool stuff. So, well, let's talk about, because, you know, I'm a little interested into, uh, it's coming out from SourcePoint Press. Yes, is right. So, where do we stand on this? Because the the uh, the Kickstarter, which was about a year ago, that was a 184 page graphic novel, right? And now, I, my understanding is they're coming out as individual issues. Is that what SourcePoint? Yeah, it's a five for? issue series. Um, the the fifth issue is a double issue, and I'm just finishing the color on that right now. Actually, that's what I'm doing right now as I'm coloring. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's right. I often talk when I talk to people who are artists, they're often, they have to keep their hands busy when they're talking. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you have. You have to do those kinds of things. Now, if I remember correctly, you're the letterer as well as the writer on this. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Dude, I, 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 I always admire that kind of stuff. I, it, it's, if you can wear several hats, I, I'm, I, you know, you come up with a story and you, some of the dialogue and the characters and put the whole thing together. I just, I'm just always in awe of that because, and, and then to do the lettering and stuff, of course, the lettering gives you a chance if there's ever little tweaks you want to make. Yeah, that, that's why I do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, my final, it's my final draft. It's my final time I can go through it and rewrite things. Because to me, it's like, the, I want the words and the bubbles and everything to be part of the page. I don't want it to be this extra layer on top. I want the words, the bubbles to interact with the art. And sometimes that requires rewriting things. Um, and, uh, but it also gives me chances. I don't know if you noticed, uh, in, in like the fifth issue, I really start breaking out and doing different things with lettering. And at the end, whenever Chaplin is given his big speech, that's in the great dictator, mm-hmm. I wanted those words to choke Hitler. I wanted mm-hmm. it to become a noose around his neck. And so that's what I did was I designed the word bubbles to go around and swirl down the page and become a noose around Hitler's neck. And that's I, I want to be able to like have chances to do things like that. So I don't think I'll ever not letter my own artwork uh, because that's something I, I don't know how I would ever communicate that to somebody. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, but, but you see, you know, it, the thing about a comics is a visual medium. And when you see the artwork, of course you're not, not being the artist. There are plenty of folks who are writer artists, you know, yeah. and they all do things very differently. But when you get to see the artwork and I, and I know this cause I, I edit a, an indie book 
And when the artwork comes in, the writer looks at it and goes, oh, I didn't think of that. Right. And, and you got to, they try to instill some of that stuff. You know, the, that was a great idea. Let me put that in. And they, they'll rework the dialogue some to work that in a little more clearly. So I, I think that's um, just a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I mean, for me, it was um, getting the artwork from Dexter. That was um, what 176 Christmas mornings. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was it it, it was um, just just seeing those pages develop. And like I had what I had in my mind. There were times I'll be honest. It was like, yeah, that's not exactly what I thought of or what I wanted. And I would sit there and stew. I was like, you know what? He's right. It works better this way. You know. Uh, and it, I love collaboration. Oh, it's wonderful when you when you can you know somebody can provide the visuals. I mean, as a writer, you very likely have some of those visuals in your head when you're doing stuff. But some, you know, you're a wordsmith more, and so when somebody who actually does the graphic comes into it, they might angle things differently, and that gives a little more subtle meaning. And you know, for for something like this, especially with known characters and stuff like that, you can add. You know, like 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 uh, Errol Flynn's smile. Yeah. You know the, the way that you do that—that that he does kind of stuff like that. It adds a little bit of texture to the writing that I think makes it. That's one of the things that makes this book really shine. I think is this. It's just you know, and I am a big believer in, in variety. By the way, I like different kinds of storytelling. I mean, I'm a Long John's guy. I I, I love my 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 superheroes. Yeah. Uh, Bat, Batman's my guy. You know, but. I don't only want to read Batman. I want to read other stuff. And when I read your book, it's, it, I like to use the phrase, scratched that itch for me for something different. And I, I was sitting reading it going like, this is so interesting. And the thing I kept thinking was, this ought to be a movie. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I would love to see this as a movie. You get some, you know, different people talk about Seth Rogen. You get him in there and, act, and acting some of the different parts and stuff like that. It would be fun to see this. Now, it, the original graphic novel was black and white. Right. And you're adding color now to the individual issues. Correct. Okay. So that, that's yeah. the difference between them. Yep. Um, well, also there's some pages. Uh, we added about a dozen more pages to the, to the book because once I started breaking it, well, it was originally, I wrote it in, in issue in single issue form and then put it together uh, and did the Kickstarter and, and did the complete trade. But, um, once it started breaking out and some of the changes, there were things that I had missed. There were uh, certain changes that the chaplain estate wanted. Um, and there were, there was a couple storytelling beats that just kind of didn't, I didn't nail that beat. Right. You know, I didn't nail that transition. Right. So it required me doing an extra page. Um, so that, that was to me, like the, the graphic novel. I love that graphic novel. I love being able to put it on the shelf pull it off the shelf and look at it. But to me, it was kind of like my rough draft. <laughs> mm. It was a very polished rough draft, but it gave me a chance to go back and, you know, this is my first book that I've ever written that that's all me. And I, it's a, it was a learning process. And, you know, it's like, there were certain things that I, even at the time, maybe there were certain scenes where it's like, I don't know how to get out of this scene. Well, I'm just going to push ahead and maybe mm. no one will notice. <laughs> and then, you know, after sitting there, for another year or two in <laughs> uh, the book actually getting printed last year and reading it. then you know, I came up with ways to handle some of those scenes better. Mm -hmm. so. But you're, you're growing as an artist. I mean, you, you, it's just like your artist, you know, he's grow the way he does things. He might, if he was to draw it now, it might be 
do some, some of the things differently because of, uh, as you guys have grown as a writer and you think more visually now as time has gone along, it would be a different book if you were to start now. Oh yeah, certainly. Um, and uh, th- th- that growth, seeing Dexter grow while we were creating this book too, was uh, that, that was just a, a joy. Um, and being able to be part of that because there was things I could see like, Oh wow, he's getting better at doing these kind of faces so you know what? I'm just going to build an entire page where we have like him doing like 17 different reaction shots of Charlie, <laughs> you know, doing different kinds of smiles or something. Uh, and that's, you know, it's a little Calvin and Hobbes, you know, like where, you know, Calvin would go get his picture taken and the entire strip is just him making different faces. Yeah. But I felt like I could push Dexter into like, all right, let's see how, how many different expressions you can give, <laughs> you know? You said something that fascinated me. I got, I don't want to let that go. The chaplain, the chaplain estate looked at this. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a whole other story. Uh, whenever the, um, on the f- second to the final day of the Kickstarter, uh, I was contacted by the chaplain estate. <laughs> really? Yeah. What, did, what did they say? Oh my gosh. Uh, they said I don't have permission to make this. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. What did you do? Uh, well, I, um, I, and Andy Schmidt was the editor on this and right. I, you know, he runs comics experience and he had, um, he had edited the book and I'd been working with Andy. I've known Andy for more than a decade, more than I care to admit. Uh, and, uh, I talked to him about it and he immediately sent in, um, his lawyer. Well, it was source points lawyer to come talk to me. His name's George. And, uh, he came down from Michigan and uh, it talked to me for like, um, it was like two hours. Wow. Uh, and then no, no cost of, out of my pocket or anything. Mm-hmm. And um, they, he wrote a letter and talked to the chaplain estate and it was a bunch of back and forth, but we finally came to an agreement. Um, and that was just to get the Kickstarter book out. Um wow. That, and that was with no um, promises uh, for source point to publish or anything. Wow. Um, so, I mean, that, 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 that bought my loyalty right there, obviously. <laughs> right. Um, so Travis and Andy uh, and George, it's that this book is uh, exists because of them. <laughs> wow. So, um, um, but, yeah. But it, see, I'm, I'm kind of interested because this presents Chaplin in an extremely positive light. Yeah, it, it wasn't the depiction of Chaplin. It was just, um, you know, they 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 want to have their cut. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Now yeah, I get it. Oh, so all right. I, and, and they wanted to have their input, and there were some things that they wanted changed. Uh, very very minor, and uh, you know, in, in some of the ways, it, it made the book better actually. Um, but um, the. It, it, it was an interesting experience. I see. I had already talked to a lawyer. I'd hired a lawyer just for a, a, a consultation. Uh, it, it was uh, someone from Burbank and uh, an entertainment lawyer and talked to them about. And so a lot of the Chaplin movies are in the public domain. A lot of the mm-hmm. Tramp movies are in the public domain. Mm-hmm. Charlie Chaplin himself is a public figure. So I thought it was in a, and it was just from a cons- consult. If, if I would have actually paid for the retainer, they probably would have came back and said something different. But um, I thought it was in a kind of gray area. The Chaplin Estate also is in um, uh, Switzerland. So, you know, it'd be international and it makes it more difficult. And are they really going to care about my little funny book? You know, so and there's a million reasons not to do something. Uh, 
And I know most people that would have just scared them away and they wouldn't have done it. But me, I just, I, I, the, the, the only person I want to ask permission from was myself, <laughs> you know, this is a story I want to tell. So I'm going to tell it and I'm going to make this book and, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that down, down the road. I thought it was in a pretty good gray area, but what I did not know was there's a difference between copyright and trademark and mm. Chaplin is trademarked. That's mm-hmm. like I wrote a, would have written a story about Ronald McDonald <laughs> mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Mickey Mouse. <laughs> he's a trademark. He's he's a logo. <laughs> right. Uh, so that's so, not a gray area. <laughs> yeah. So, well, it reminds me of, I don't know if you remember, there was a song called Betty Davis Eyes. Yeah. And when they tried to make a video for it, they went to the Betty Davis estate and they refused to let them use any video of Betty Davis. So if you ever watch the video, she's like the, the, the singer is like looking at me, like doing her, moving her hands by her eyes and stuff. Oh, wow. There's no sign of Betty Davis because they said, nope, we're not going to let you do it. For <laughs> and I don't know why. I mean, I, I would think, you know, hey, it boosts the, you know, the, the visibility of the actress, you know, and stuff like that. But yeah, nope. see, that's what I thought with, with Chaplin, too. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I, I, I took this very seriously, even though it's a goof or I wouldn't say a goof, even though the story is lighthearted, uh, as lighthearted as you can be with, you know, Hitler and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, um, I still wanted to capture Chaplin in a way that showed reverence to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure, there's lots of, lots of slapstick humor, you know, we, you know, he, he gets his butt out several times, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, there, he he's he's the punchline of jokes a lot, but his heart is always in the right place, and he's always somebody that's aspirational. Um, and and I try to capture that from what I what I gathered from reading and watching his movies and reading his autobiography and stuff. So I felt that was very reverent, but mm-hmm. I I didn't want to. Well, but Hitler, that's that, that that's a whole other case. I was completely irreverent with Hitler. Okay. Uh, I think more of the. The uh, the producers uh, Mel Brooks style is that was kind of my inspiration for Hitler, <laughs> uh, the springtime for Hitler, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and and of course the biggest inspiration was Chaplin's uh, the Great Dictator uh, Hinkle. Um, so I mean that was I just made him more like Hinkle, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but still I wanted to have that reverence for Hedy Lamar and for Errol Flynn and and for Chaplin himself. I wanted these. I, I wanted to treat them right, you know. Well, it's good. I I, I enjoyed the book tremendously. I have to, I oh, highly yeah. encourage it. Now, the the question I want to do right now, and I don't want to get too far along without getting this in there. It, it's coming out from Source Point Press. How many issues have come out now? Well, I know that the 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 second issue should be out, but the comic book stores are shut are closed and Diamond's right. not shipping. The first right. one shipped. The first one shipped the day that Diamond stopped shipping. Ugh. <laughs> So some stores got it and, and some stores did not is what I've heard. Um, it's sold out in a lot of stores, even, even at that. And, uh, and several other stores it's on the shelf and we'll be ready for people whenever the stores reopen. <laughs> cool. Well, so, because, well, hopefully they're talking about at this point and you know, who knows what will change, but they're saying the 27th is often when it's a lot of the stuff's going to hit, but yeah, uh, it state to state is what I've been hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I have to, uh, I have to endorse this book because it's fun. There, there's a one sequence you talked about Chaplin in which uh, let's just say he's going into a room and he's expecting something to happen. 
And it doesn't go that way, <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> I had to laugh out loud when I was reading that. Too. <laughs> so, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> that so see, that's another aspect, too. You know, there's another character in that in that scene that mm-hmm. I also want to treat with reverence, even though it's kind of real slapsticky. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was funny. I mean, you know, it was it was the characters as we we would expect them to be. And the greatest thing was him. <laughs> you know, in an uncomfortable circumstance, <laughs> shall we say. I, I just, I laughed out loud for the longest time. It was such a wonderfully <laughs> done, such a fun sequence. It was so enjoyable to see these different characters. And, of course, Errol Flynn swashbuckling and all that stuff. I think he's the, the guy that, that swashbuckling came became popular through. <laughs> so the, yeah. all these characters, you're getting to see really fun and interesting things. I, I Sometimes I feel like we've lost some of the fun elements and comics and the adventure and there's a lot of that in this book there's a lot of uh, uh, enjoyment in, in the circumstances that you know it, it there are a lot of dangerous circumstances happening but how you react to those circumstances has a lot to do with how the story progresses and you know different people react differently but it's still the word I wanted to use a lot was fun it, it's a fun, enjoyable adventure. Was the way well, I thanks, think. Wayne. That, that's what I was going for. I wanted to, you know, I, I it's. It, I was looking for a book that I was wanting to make a book that I that I don't see on the shelves. I guess. Yeah. Um, and th- th- this whole process has taught me a lot of things. And one of the first things was I made this book for an audience of one. I made it for me. Uh, and. I knew if I could make it um, and satisfy myself that there's a good chance that other people might like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember whenever I, whenever I was working, I was probably getting through the second issue and I printed it all out and I sat there and I was doing a copy edit. I'm reading through it, making sure there's no plot holes, making sure all the word bubbles work right. And I'm not, you know, so I'm just sitting there reading it, doing my proof. Um, but it's the first time I ever printed it out and held it. And so I get about, I'm reading through it. And then I realize I'm no longer proofing. I'm actually just reading it, this mm-hmm. thing that I wrote. And I'm like, I actually like this. I made something I like. <laughs> well, good. See, see, if you enjoy what you're doing, we're likely to enjoy it. Yeah. And that, that, that experience changed my whole philosophy on everything. It's, I think, I think as artists, we should make stuff for an audience of one, you know? Um, now, I mean, of course, you're going to have to make sure that, you have developed your skill set to a point where uh, you're not easily satisfied. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yeah. But um, I, I'm the harshest critic. I'm my my own harshest critic. Of so if I can satisfy myself, then I think I might be onto something. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's so enjoyable. Like I said, that that there's several sequences that made me laugh right out loud. There are other ones that are very dangerous. I, I sense the, the, the drama and the danger what's going on. So to me, you know, I, I there are s- some books are like video games. It's just pop, 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 pop. That's not the way this book is. This book, like I said, the characters are very human. The circumstances they're in are very realistic. So we feel for what they're going through. You know, even though we we probably have some sense of who these people are, there's still a lot of growing going on in the characters and lots of fun things happening. And we get to enjoy 
what they're going through and the, the, the wonderful circumstances that they find themselves in. It's just, you know, it's just a pleasure to read something like that, that is so creative and just, you know, I, I, like I said, I smiled through most of the book and times I laughed right out loud. It's just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful book. I, I always worry because, you know, sometimes some people think that something that's historical is going to be dull. And this book is not dull. That, that's a word I would never use for this book. It's like I said, it's, it's something that is going to engage you from the moment you start to read it. You're going to be you know, going to be interested in these characters. Now, granted, most of these people, we know their fates, you know, right. so we're not necessarily worried about how you're going to change history so much, you know, but, but on the other hand, we want to know, how these things are going to resolve because we care about these, these characters and it's so enjoyable and so nice to read something that is not, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily want to read future all the time. I, there's a lot that because we tend to, especially in comics, we want to look ahead a lot that we forget to look behind sometimes and enjoy the great stories that happened in the past. And I think this is one of those books that's going to, I think people are going to want to know more about these people. I think we're going to do some more reading on who is Charlie Chaplin and who is Errol Flynn and all these other people. People may not know who they are, and they might actually start to horror of horrors actually read something about this. Yeah, that that would be uh, to me. That's a delight. If I can if I can encourage people to go watch a Chaplin movie, go watch uh, you know Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn, or. Uh, you know, read read one of their autobiographies or get to know these characters or these people, these real people. Uh, that, that that would just make me so happy. Um, All I can think about is modern times. That that just yeah <laughs> makes me laugh so much. If yeah, if if somebody hasn't seen modern times, I I, I have to encourage you to do. It. <laughs> you know, the terrible thing is, is it's it's probably just as relevant today as it was back then. Oh, because yeah. you know, you know, technology is stuff making things moving faster and faster and faster, and <laughs> yeah, we're just cogs in the machine. <laughs> That's right. I just love that. But but this book is just it's it's a great start. I mean, if even if you don't know who these people are, I think right away it, the way that you introduce them is very. Um, it, it's easy to pick out who these people are and to understand. And of course, the, you're right. The artwork helps a lot in that too. Errol Flynn's smile, Charlie Chaplin's, you know, blank stare, you know, all these wonderful things going on. It helps you get to know them. So I think you and the artist, just the, the best comics are when you can't tell where one stops and one starts. And I think that's what this book does really well. It, it's just, it moves you. It's, it's like a movie to me. It, it just, it moves forward seamlessly to me from, from book to book and from sequence to sequence. And that's just something for, for me that, you know, not every book accomplishes that. Sadly. Well, I appreciate that. There, there, um, I, I was very much aware of that, what I'm making. I mean, it is about Chaplin and I am being inspired by, you know, uh, movies a lot whenever I'm making, when I'm writing this and like some of the sequences, like Chaplin's fighting style, I wanted to emulate that. And so I watched anytime I wrote a sequence, I would like go rewatch, you know, uh, like the boxing sequence in City Lights or whatever to try to get an idea of how he moves. The same thing with Errol Flynn. How does Errol Flynn move? So I watched some of his movies and try to get an idea. And then I would give those clips to Dexter or sketch out like little panel breakdowns to try to capture that movement. 
But at the same time, and it was especially in issue five is where I really started. Well, I was a little bit sooner, but really in issue five where I, I tried to break away from that and just have this thing exist on the page. Mm-hmm. Then start to use things like the gutters and how could I use the gutter to tell the story? Mm-hmm. Um, like there I was sp- inspired by, uh, you remember Sergio Agoni's and Mad Magazine would do those. Oh, like, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. so I was reading a Mad Magazine with my kids and I saw that and it just kind of, boom, I'm going to steal that. And so then I made that as part of the story. You know, these are things that can only exist in comics. And I became more and more excited about that is finding ways that this can only exist here on the page, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. And I, this is why I think comics are always going to be with us. I, I, I think the printed page is something that we're going to probably always have. Although if I can't get a copy of something on, in, on paper, I will buy a digital one just so I can keep reading. You know, if I'm missing something and I got, uh, if I want to continue the story and I got to read something, I'll buy a digital and then I'll keep my eye open for printed paper but i want i want this i don't want this to end and i think this is a perfect example of the kind of thing that comics can do successfully and just i i just think it opens our minds up to it's funny to say but more the reality of some of these people you know it just educates us and 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 motivates us to look more into these things oh awesome i'm glad to hear that (laughs) This is great because now, now, of course, got to ask because when 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 the great machine of comics starts to gear up again, I think that uh, I I would say even now you could probably contact your local comic shop and tell them you want this, or you could probably go to uh, SourcePoint Press's website. And yeah, um, yeah, you can buy it off SourcePoint, um, and they'll send it to you directly. And I'm pretty sure that there's a way that you can uh, put your local comic store uh, in your order and. Uh, Source point will credit or give uh, some proceeds to your local comic store. Um, so I, I, I really appreciate that about source point. They're still looking out for the, for our local, local guys. That's good. I, I, I to be honest with you, I, I don't know where we're going to hit the ground before long, but I really think that the stores, I, I was reading the guy from boom studios had this little video where he talked about, the fact that like like a comic shop is like our third home. Oh yeah, uh, you know that we have home and that we, where we live, and then we have the work home, and then this is a place where our passions and interests can be shared with other people who have those same or at least somewhat similar passions and stuff like that. And so I I think comic shops are going to be something I don't think we're going to lose anytime soon. I'm, I I want them to get. In fact, I want more. I want them to get bigger yeah. and better. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. Um, uh, you know, my um, my local comic book store, uh, Comics Cards and Collectibles, it's run by Tom Mativi. Uh, and, you know, I've been going there since I was a kid. And I I look up to Tom as, you know, uh, one of my best friends. Um, and a lot of my sensibilities and storytelling and stuff came from standing there in the store and talking to Tom. <laughs> And I think a lot of writers have that same experience, you know, um, I, I, I don't become a comic book store owner because you wanted to, you know, make money and not care about the product. You, they, they were all comic book fans first and foremost. <laughs> right. That's right. I, I remember one time I was in a store and this young kid about 12 came in the door. And he says, oh, and he goes to the guy who owned the store. I was talking with, he said, you know, I heard this 
comic guy died and it was somebody I'd never heard of. I think his last name was Kirby or something like that. <laughs> and the owner, the owner of the store looked at me and says, don't kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's kind of the, the, this is that kind of a thing where it's just a great thing. Well, now I got to ask, of course, this, I think this is a, a big success. What else are you working on that we should be aware of? Um, actually I have several things that I'm working on because I wanted to, uh, you know, I, this took, um, five years to get to this point. Um, and, um, so I started working on other things too in the interim. Uh, and I kind of wanted to come out with like a one, two punch and have something else, but I have like three other books that I'm currently working on. Um, but the one that I'm the furthest ahead on, it goes in a completely different direction. It's a, uh, um, it's a historical werewolf story. (laughs) Okay. I want to do for, uh, werewolves, what Bram Stoker did for vampires. Hmm. So interesting. Um, yeah, I don't think that there's the werewolves have been given their due in that way. I mean, there is no archetypal werewolf. I mean, you have the wolf man, but that's just the wolf man. It's not, it's not like a Dracula. There's no mascot for werewolves that, uh, and so I wanted to create that. I wanted to create, if I leave anything behind, I want to create that, <laughs> that, uh, you think werewolves, you think of this character. <laughs> Just don't make a, a romantic werewolf story. It's um, not well, there might be some romance in it, but you know, it's not <laughs> Twilight. <laughs> not not Twilight. At all. They're coming no, out with another it, Twilight book. Oh, no. I said, oh, no. Oh, are they? <laughs> yeah. That's what I heard. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, no, please. Of course no. they are, because money. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, there's, there's, after a while, people come up with this. like a uh, 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 lady from Harry Potter. You know, for a while she said, that's it. I'm not writing anymore. And then a couple of years later, all of a sudden another book was coming out. And I was like, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> what happened to that? But anyway, it's, just, it's now, of course, if we want to follow on your projects, of course, we talked about SourcePoint Press and they have, you can find them on Facebook and all kinds of and Twitter and all kinds of stuff. What about your stuff? If we want to follow you and, and keep up with your stuff, how do we do that on, on social media? I'm, I'm mostly on Facebook and Instagram, mostly Facebook, but, um, you can go to it's Facebook Adolph and Charlie because they wouldn't let me register the word Fuhrer for some reason on Facebook. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> so it's uh, but if you search Fuhrer and the Tramp, it, my page comes up. Um, and you know I I'm not as active currently just because it's so hard to get on Facebook right now or any or Twitter or anything right now. I just if it's just too much depressing stuff. Wow. <laughs> you know, I don't want to read about murder hornets now. I don't want to read oh. about any of this stuff. <laughs> so personally, I've kind of, I know it's probably not good uh, marketing on my side, but I just, I got to protect my own sanity. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I got so tired of political wrangling on, oh, yeah. on, on stuff that what I did was I slowly weeded out those people. And now what's taking its place, it's the funniest thing, are dog stories. I'm always reading the dog rescue things. And you know what? I have to say, I feel so much better about life when I read these yeah. dog stories. There's a guy in Maryland who has a, a, a little a chihuahua house and when he walks through the house and you see the videos he's got like 40 50 little chihuahuas going around with them and they're just like swarming around and stuff and you know what i feel better when i see this one that doesn't have a one of the legs is gone and i always look at it and think ah you know so i would much rather have that stuff on my facebook feed than the, uh, people wrangling about stuff that nobody's going to change their mind about i yeah well one of the biggest things i started doing but now it's it, it, it 
it's it's just we it's just too crazy now. But for a while, what I was doing was I started unfollowing people that would, were sharing and not posting their own stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if I want to see a Wall Street Journal article, I I can go there and read it. You know, if I want to know about I want to know about that person's life. You know, I'm friends with them, and so I want to see pictures of them and their kids. I want to see. Uh, them on a bike ride. I want to see them living life and their experiences. I don't need to see something that they're sharing that I could just go on Reddit and find myself. Yeah. So I started on following, but now it's like everybody's got to share because it's too crazy. (laughs) I I want to see content creation on Facebook more than you would click on that. You know, only see stuff that is, you know, I want original content from people. Well, that's the thing. You know, on the other hand, if you're going to the restroom, I don't necessarily need to know that. I, I there's some people who are just too yeah. much. I, I'm like, okay, I, I didn't need that. Was like the the one of the early stories on Facebook was this football player who was having an affair, and he was actually talking about it on Facebook, and he was shocked when the wife find out found out about it. And I was like, it's on the <laughs> internet. Come on. That's funny. <laughs> So anyway, but John, it's just a wonderful stuff. And again, it's the Fuhrer and the Tramp. And I highly recommend it. If you're looking like me and you love variety, this is going to be one of those books you're going to treasure and really enjoy. Which, of course, I got to ask, are you guys going to collect this into a, a color trade? Uh, that's very much uh, the goal. I'm. Um, we've been talking about a, you know doing a hardback, maybe a little bit Ooh. of a prestige format. Is my goal. I've, I've done all my artwork and uh, high enough resolution that I could, you know, Put this out in a prestige format. That'd be that would be fun to have. I'd have to get that. Uh, oh, cool! That. I, I just wanted to do it for me because so I could have it. <laughs> but well, I, I, that's cool too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just I, I, some stuff I want to have in a collected format, just to, so I can when I want to, I want to pull out and and dive into and lose myself for a while. And this is one of those books that I would love to have just to enjoy. Going, being transported into someplace else, uh, and enjoy the, the story. That's awesome. Thanks, Wayne. That really makes me feel good. <laughs> well, Sean, all I can say is keep it up, boy. This is good stuff, and I am dying to see what you're going to do next. So I got, you know, I, I would ask about conventions and stuff, but we have no idea what the convention world. Oh is. yeah, I, yeah, I know exactly. I was really looking forward to this convention season. <laughs> yeah, I was but, too. I, I love conventions because I get to actually meet the people I get to talk with sometimes. That's really fun to do, but that'll come along. I think eventually it, it oh, will yeah. be gone forever, but uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hook up sometime. I'll see it. We'll, we can oh, yeah. chat over some, uh, some nachos at the hotel bar or something. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. And maybe if another project comes up, we'll, we can talk again and we'll talk about that project. Certainly. Think, certainly. I want to talk that. Well, Sean, like I said, keep it up. I, I'm so enjoying this stuff and I really enjoyed the, the Fuhrer and the Tramp. And I think people really get out to get into that. If, if you like stories that are at different times and different kinds of stories, this is one I highly recommend. So uh, just, just do more of this stuff, Sean. I just can't wait to see what you're going to do next. Well, thank you. Thanks. I appreciate it. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. And I can't do that as Bruce Wayne, as a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but it's a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics.
great to welcome to the podcast some creators from Pandemony, a toy company that's also making comics based on their toys, which is a long-standing comic tradition. Let's see, who's first? Hi, I'm Ryan Magnin with Pandemony Toy Brands. And you I'm are... Curtis Anderson. Oh, oh, sorry. Let's, let's go one at a time here. Uh, uh, first, why talk, Ryan, why don't you talk about what it is you do? Yes, I'm the president of Pandemony Toy Brands. I uh, make uh, obnoxious videos uh, on occasion, uh, pushing our brand and, and, and uh, shamelessly shilling product. But uh, and when I'm not doing that, I'm, uh, I'm promoting the, I'm sorry, I'm overseeing the development of the toys and, and their marketing and their design and blah, 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 and just kind of overall helping our team to, to meet the company goals. Okay, and that's Ryan, right? That's Ryan, yeah, Ryan with the All right. All right, and next. Hi, I'm Curtis Anderson. I am a brand manager and licensing over at Pandemony Toy Brands, but I'm also the lore master over here for our toy brands, and so I helped develop the backstory and wrote all of the pack-in comics that are available with the, the different alternation toys. Okay, all right. So, and as you were telling me before we started recording, there's a difference between the comic, those comics and the ones that's apparently coming out from Dark Horse. Do you want to explain what the difference is for that, Curtis? Absolutely. So when we were originally developing the toys, we knew that we were coming up with an original IP. This was something that wasn't licensed from another company. You're not going to see these characters anywhere else. But because we were developing a new IP that was intended for, uh, for a younger audience and, and for a new audience, we knew that we needed some way to be able to tell the story so that they wouldn't just see a bunch of new plastic on the shelf and be like, well, what is this? So we decided to go old school and just like He-Man and superpowers and mask before us, we included a mini comic book inside with each figure. So you could get an idea of the character that you were buying and they all overlapped as part of the same story arc. So you could build up and see how everybody worked together and one big overarching story could be told uh, once you had all the figures and the free comic book that's available at stores. However, we also didn't want to force kids to buy all six figures or all eight this come this uh, fall. So we also offered them for free on alternation.toys, our website, okay. along with some great videos. See, I'm, this, is, this is why I'm the pitch man of the company. Curtis says the, the nice thing, and then I say, hey, by the way, visit our website to get more free stuff. Yeah, I was looking at toys, by the way. Yeah, I was just looking at that, and I was watching the videos. There's, uh, from what I see, there are five, about two-minute videos out there, at least. Is that the extent of what you have out there? That's correct. That's what we have out right now, yeah. Actually, we have six. Six? Oh, six? oh sorry. Yeah. What, what's six. the six? There are six, six webisodes um, that kind of cover... There's one that basically focuses on each different character that's available is one. So the first one is Glitch, uh, and then the second one is Round 2 featuring Quilroy. The third one is Dart's First Mission, where Dart actually explores the island a little bit and stumbles on a secret that will be explored later. Then we have Albert Seven's Big Day Out, where he also finds a secret bunker related to previous experiments on the island. And then after that is uh, Albert Seven, and then Sham Good. Choice, right? Yep. Sham I was going to say, we could leave it at that, and then visitor or listeners to your podcast will have to find out what the rest are themselves by going to alternation.toys. 
Okay, that sounds good. I got a chance to, to look at them, and I also got a chance to read. There was a comic that, that's coming out from Dark Horse, and I got a chance to read that. And mm-hmm. I think you guys are doing a very professional job of it. You know, sometimes toy-related stuff is not always the highest quality, shall I say. But you guys are setting a nice standard for that. I think it's really well done. I oh, appreciate that, yeah. Thank right. you. We're humbled with <laughs> now, alter, now, now, let's let's start off with the basic here. Maybe Ryan, you're the one to answer this. Why is it called alternation? Well, we originally were going to call it GK Delta after the uh, after the uh, the heroes, and I think that there were some legal restrictions with that um, as far as trademarks go. So we ended up just having to create several ideas for the IP. This is the boring part of it, and we submitted them to the lawyer and to see which one would get through. Alternation was kind of picked because it's it's double um, entendre, kind of. Uh, it's altering the nation because this is very uh, espionage-heavy kind of story and, like, conspiracy and all this stuff and, like, secret uh, deep, whatever you want to call it, deep state type stuff uh, that they're working on or that they're trying to uncover. Um, and then the alternation as far as that they're actually changing their genetics as well. Okay. So it's an alternation is also when when things happen when they get altered it's an alternation, right? Uh, yeah, so. kind of revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 plays in. Now you've talked a little bit about the characters. Can you do a little more in depth as to who each character is? Sure. Do you, you want me to, to take that, Curtis? You want to do that? Go for it. Okay. So we've got the leader is El Ray. He is a part fish. He's part sailfish. Part manta ray and electric eel so his toy being part electric eel he's got a light up feature to kind of simulate that that electric shock um he's also got a lot of nautical inspired weapons um and oh, he's sort of the uh sort of the captain kirk of the team he, he recognizes his uh team's ability and his, it's the importance of bringing them all together but he also uh, kind of gets a little uh he's he's a he, he has his own sort of moral code that he uh, that he always is trying to do what's right, and, and he does get suspicious of uh, kind of the higher-ups in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then we have Dart, who's sort of the kid of the team. He's a fan of action figures and comic books and, and things like that. Even though he's the largest of the team, he's, uh, he's still the kid. So his size isn't necessarily reflective of his, uh, of his age. His toy does a backflip. Uh, and can actually land on his feet, but we didn't act, we didn't uh, sacrifice any articulation because of that. So he's still he's able to do that jump and still pose and hold his accessories and so forth. Um, we have Quillroy, who's a uh, port- African porcupine, rhinoceros, and bat. He can shoot out his quills in the toy, um, and he's the weightlifter of the team and sort of the the bro of the team. He, he likes uh, metal music and he eats vegan, bro, and uh, you know. He, he likes to drink his energy drinks and, and lift. Um, who's next? We've got uh, our um, our prankster of the team, which is Albert. He's part monkey and part bull and human, of course. And his toy, um, it, it has a prehensile tail that can uh, we can you can bend the tail and it'll stay put. And so you can hang the toy off of uh, whatever it'll fit around, uh, and hang them upside down and so forth. And he can hold his accessories with his tail. And speaking of his accessories. He's got a uh, mallet that shoots a boxing glove out, as well as a in-scale whoopee cushion 
that uh, it actually works and, you know, you can play pranks on uh, our competition's toys, uh, action figures, as long as they're one scale. We also have Sham, who we're not sure if he's the, a good guy or a bad guy, but he's definitely causing some uh, conflict within the team without them knowing it. So he's sort of a secret agent. He, he came over from a secret agent uh, kind of squadron, uh, and uh, now he he's working with the He's ostensibly working with the GK Deltas, but uh, as it's revealed in the comic, it's not quite clear what, who's, where his loyalties lie. Um, his toy has an uh, action feature that actually will spit his tongue out if you flip a switch, and the tongue is sticky, and it'll even pick up accessories, and his eyes kind of move around like a chameleon do, where they're going 360 degrees. Mm-hmm. And then he also has color-changed skin uh, that's temperature-activated. He also, like Albert, has some interesting accessories, too. Um, he has a, an umbrella that has a switchblade that moves in and out, as well as a book that can hide weapons and, and bombs and such, because that's what secret agents do. They, they hide weapons, you know, mm-hmm. where people aren't supposed to find them. Mm-hmm. Last is our, uh, our first villain of the, our first major villain of the series for this first wave, and that's Sabotage. He uh, is a disaffected, uh, disgruntled, soldier that uh he was uh decommissioned because uh he, he and his squadron were considered too expensive because they were cybernetic and they were replaced with uh, these these animal human hybrid soldiers for for cost reasons and so sabotage would like revenge on on uh, the world as well as our team of heroes and uh his toy lights up because he has a in the story he has a nuclear power core that that keeps him going forever and uh, so he lights up and has sound to match that, as well as a cybernetic arm that punches really well. We found out today that uh, you can even, uh, I probably shouldn't mention this because it, it might jeopardize kids' safety. But anyway, there are modifications you can make to the, to the spring-loaded arm that will make it punch harder. But kids, don't try that. <laughs> Not without parental supervision. Right, exactly. They probably won't get hurt, but I just for liability reasons, I probably shouldn't encourage kids to do that. Well, they all look interesting to me. I'm always interested in, in hybrid characters and, and, and because they give sort of a mixture and they, they have different personalities as a result of that. Now, our, the, the question I have to ask, and I don't know whether this is going to be something revealed as we go along, are these guys hybrid humans? Uh, what's the story as to how they, they came to be? I mean, it, this might be something that's going to be unfolded as we go through the story, but... I'm just kind of. I, I'm always want to know how things got to where they are, and how do they get to be who they are? Uh, yeah, that is that is kind of the the opening of the the first comic with El Rey is him starting to ask questions about his uh, origin, and yeah, that is kind of the big the big question that our heroes have is they were told that they were uh, they were cryptids like Bigfoot or Loch Ness monster that they were these freaks of nature that that the military and the government just sort of found out in the wild and, and raised to be, uh, you know, raised in these facilities to be soldiers and to help the world and, and sort of be vindicated by society for if they're, if they're trying to help, but they're starting to question that narrative and see, Hey, like some of the things we're being told don't add up. So I don't know if, if we want to reveal more to that. I don't. Probably, probably <laughs> or don't. Spoil. I don't know if this would be considered a spoiler. So. Yeah, you probably don't. It's a secret. It's a secret. Yeah, that's the truth. It's the way things go. So the, the the interesting thing to me is we were talking a little bit about the fact that Dark Horse picked up 
or created. Uh, how, how, I'm, tr- I'm still a little unclear as to how the, there's certain comics that come with the toys, and then Dark Horse has a, a an alternation comic. Do you want to talk about where the alt, that Dark Horse book came from? Yeah, absolutely. Curse? So we we created our own content, and um, and we we had a brand pitch that we were primarily. Uh, Say primary. We were shopping it around for comics and games and, and television. And I ran into Dark Horse at Toy Fair, I believe, and um, you know got connected with their team. Their team is super friendly and, and very open to it. And they just love the pitch. Um, we, we, you know, I guess it just comes with having good uh, pitch materials and having a great uh, creative team on it. So, yeah, uh, yeah they picked it up. And, and as far as like how it relates to what we've done, mm-hmm. they're continuing... Uh, the same canon that we did with the webisodes and and com- the comics we made for the pack-in. So it's all one continuous universe, and we do our best not to force people to to uh, have to go back too far to enjoy the, the series that, that Dark Horse is going to have to be working on. It is a continuation, but pick up uh, wherever you like and you'll be good. Okay, because the one thing I noticed about the Dark Horse book was that they got some names in there that I'm familiar with, which is another good thing on, on comic-related uh-huh. toys and stuff. The Tim Seeley is a name I'm familiar with. In fact, I've interviewed him for this podcast in the past. He's a he's a great writer. Mike Norton, who does the art, does a great job on the art. He's He's... You know, comic book art. It, it, one of the great things that, if like Mike can do, is do very clear things. There's two things I always measure in comic book art, and that's expressions of the face, and also the action sequences. And he does very well on both of those. In fact, the 14 pages that I read are very strong in that. And moves along. Really, I, I have to. I really have to. Of course, I, I expect nothing less out of Tim. He does a really good story in there with a big surprise along the way, mm-hmm. a big reveal. And the ending is really good. And I don't want to spoil it because it's a really, it's a very fascinating ending that one of the things these guys do is, and I guess that's common among people who don't look, and there's a message in there, who don't look human, how are they going to interact with humans when that happens? And mm-hmm. that's one of the messages in the comic from Dark Horse. They talk a lot about the fact that uh, they're not sure how humans are going to relate to them and there's a little bit of a resolution to that when it comes to the end of the book that I won't give away but it's really really good I, I really like that book and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to read the ones that come with the toys too now, you were saying that all the are all these going to be combined into a graphic novel you said uh, the ones that we've made are already available as a graphic novel as a digital download oh. um, and then yes Tim Seeley is and Mike Norton's comic is also going to be a graphic novel uh, right now, it's it, the the first twelve pages are a digital download. That is going to be combined into a print version with a new story. Okay, very but, good. Now, of course, how do you get a hold of these? I mean, if you want to get the, I guess Dark Horse, you probably it's going to come through comic shops. I would imagine if they're doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and we're trying to get it into places like Scholastic and, and other book clubs like that. And yeah, if you go to alternation.toys, you can get everything alternation, whether it was from Dark Horse or us, mm-hmm. um, under the comic section. See, that that's interesting to me because trying to coordinate a, have a universe that, that you've got multiple people working on, sometimes it's 
somebody's going to just Star Trek. Just look at that, for example. There's some people write things, and is it considered canon or not? It's a big debate. Mm-hmm. So, are, are you guys like the canon police as far as that goes? If somebody writes something, do you get a chance to say, "Whoa, we don't want to do that" based on the stories we're doing? How do you coordinate all these good things? We do, but we try to be very liberal with it. We try to give give a lot of leeway to artists because one thing I saw as a kid was um, like one of the biggest phenomenons that of my childhood was Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. And that was, it started as a cartoon and it, but to me, it really, it only blew up because I'm sorry, it started as a comic and it really only blew up because of the cartoon. Mm-hmm. And they took major liberties with the cartoon from the comic in order to make it more appealing to kids. But had they not done that, it wouldn't have blown up the way it did. So um, we try to be aware of that and not, not try to like beat up artists too much if they want to do something that they're really passionate that like, yes, it must work this way because we don't want to feel like that we're inhibiting something that could be big. Um, the, and as you said, the only time we really get really nitpicky about it is if it, con- if it contradicts something else that's already been done or something. And even then we kind of might, say, hey, is there a way you can write around that? Is there a way to, to bang it out with the continuity hammer, as, as Curtis says? Mm-hmm. Very good. And now let, let's say the toys sell really well, and you do like a second generation of them. Are you going to have different comics in those uh, toys? Are you going to another set of stories in there? Yeah, we have a, a second wave planned for 2020 uh, coming out this fall. And, um, yeah, they absolutely do have the uh, comics with those two toys. Um, and then, yeah, we would love to just keep keep doing what we're doing. Okay. Are you guys going to introduce new characters in the second wave? The second wave, yeah. There's been some previews of them already, but it'll be Alpha and Bomber. And those can be seen on the sides of the box, their character designs, and even some of the stories are already available on, on our website at alternation.toys. If I can say alternation.toys again. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, go right ahead. Go ahead. Repetition is the soul. Repetition is the soul of wit. This is one person like to say. Yeah, so, I'm pretty sure that's the one. Well, the thing that I, I, I enjoy the storytelling, and I, I agree, is the audience. Are you reaching out particular age groups? Who are you guys trying to to reach out to? Yeah, we wanted this to be all ages. Um, I think that when we when we reach out to older folks. Um, they're supportive, definitely. Um, not older, like people my age, 30s, 40s, that age. Um, they're looking for, for new stuff uh, sometimes, but they've also seen a lot. So we'll get compared to like very obscure brands, and we're like, no, that wasn't on our radar at all. Like We weren't imitating that, that particular brand at all. And so I think that it's just there, there's a little bit of more jadedness, if that's even a word, with people like in the 30s and 40s and things like that, that, oh, this is just... This is just that thing again. So yeah, we 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 knew that with the success of the brand needed to be needed to welcome kids, and uh, so yeah, that was that was primary. That was one of the primary audiences we talked to when we were developing this brand. It's interesting because you know all ages used to uh, nothing against people who used to do this, but I always got a feeling there was talking down going on. You know, kids yeah. aren't all that smart, and, and I don't get that sense from alternation. You guys are telling stories that are fun, and as an adult, uh, I enjoyed them a lot, too. So I have to say that uh, you guys are doing a good job as far as making all ages, you know, communicate to all ages like it should be. Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely we don't want to, like, just have gore and, you know, 
like mm-hmm. crazy, you know, stuff like that. But um, yeah, that, that was something we talked about earlier. And I always use the example of how bizarre Thundercats was like for a kid's show at the time, but it, it was. And, and I don't think you need to um, like have everything be wacky zany with superheroes for kids. And I think a lot of the brands we that, well, a lot of the brands that entertainment companies keep rebooting over and over started out much more sophisticated than than the, what their descendants are doing, what the remakes are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we definitely wanted to, to keep it sophisticated, but not, um, you know, not alienate parents, basically. Mm-hmm. There's another interesting message that's coming through here, is, is, is that different isn't necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. I get that a lot with yeah. the when I read the characters. Yeah, well, you know, that's funny. That's sort of our company motto as well. <laughs> we try to be different and different and appealing. So, yeah. Do we know when the figures are going to hit stores? Yeah, the uh, the first wave is already it, – it came out last uh, last fall. Oh. Um, and then wave two is coming out in um, tw- fall 2020. So okay. you're getting two more characters in the collectibles line. Okay. Now, the question is, of course – with Toys R Us used to be the place I would go and I'd get just about every toy that was out. And since they're not around anymore, how do people get these figures? Is this like Walmart? Uh, yeah, so we are selling online uh, through Amazon and Walmart.com. But uh, we are, we were, the big news was we were lucky to be picked up by uh, Diamond Comics to do, they're going to be effectively distributing the toy. Um, so a lot of independent comic book stores are starting to carrying it. And, you know, once we and we're hoping to 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 build into mid tier, which would be considered Barnes and Noble, GameStop, places like that. And then mass, which is, of course, Walmart in store rather than Walmart.com and and then Target. So it's a step by step process that we have to do, because uh, when you're building a brand, you don't want uh, you don't want to kind of burn out too fast that uh, Walmart takes it like, you know, I don't know. 100,000 units, and then they they just they decide, ah, you know, we'd rather make room for something else, and and they put them all on clearance or something, and then and everybody's upset. <laughs> well, it would be great if Toy Stores carried all these things, because then they can carry the comic as well. So, mm-hmm. to get, to, you get one place for all this. Yeah, and that is something we kept in mind uh, when we made a point-of-sale comic, just specifically for that reason. So, if small comic book stores wanted to carry the product we can give them some free comics as well to entice people to buy and there you go okay so now of course you've got as we mentioned there's some uh, short animated episodes in there are you guys thinking you know we talked about turtles and you can't help but wonder based on the how well the short animated ones are done is there any chance that you guys are going to have like a netflix animated series based on the characters or something like that yeah we're in talks with the uh, one of the big five studios i guess there's only five animation studio just you know production houses left basically um <laughs> so um we're in talks with one of them as well as uh some other animation studios that sort of service those other distribution channels mm-hmm. but kind of i don't i don't know all the hollywood terminology as well as curtis but that's kind of how it goes right when it comes down to it we are in talks with a major studio to produce that animation but right now we cannot talk about it Okay, so it's in the works. Yeah. Okay, so that's good. Now, I noticed on the website that you can sign up for an alienation newsletter. Where do you go in order to sign up for the newsletter? We have two. um, There's uh, 
panamony.toys slash alter-nation-news, but it's probably easier to go to uh, alternation.toys, and uh, there's a link. If you push a little, there's a red alert agents link. Click that, and it'll uh, take you to our uh, our fan club. Okay, that's, that'll be good. To that's all ages. Yeah. Oh, well, that'll be good. That'll hand, turn out real nicely for that because I, I know young boys love dinosaurs and stuff, and this is going to largely appeal to, to younger guys and stuff like that. But I, I can see some girls liking some of the characters because of the way they behave and stuff. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Now, is the the comics are included with the toys. What about like the Dark Horse? Has that the Dark Horse comic has that come out yet? So there's a there's a digital version that is out right now. Mm-hmm. And that can also be found on alternation.toys under comics. Um, and then Dark Horse is doing a printed version later this year. Uh, should be fall 2020. Okay, so that's not far off. But you can get a start on it with by going to the website and stuff. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. Now, of course, Pandemony is a company that I'm not – I haven't heard much about. I get a kick mm-hmm. that the, the logo is, looks like one of you guys, I have a feeling, with the little hair – Kind of the pinkish standing up here. Mm-hmm. Either of you guys look is is that you one of you guys that looks like that? It wasn't intended that way, but uh, <laughs> that was what uh, our logo designer came up with, even though he had never seen me. So yeah, oh. I have oh, wow. I actually have a green mohawk right now. It's totally different than than our mascot because theirs is pink, mine's green. So. Okay, you're trying out other brands <laughs> and they're trying stuff. So that's cool. Yeah. So just yeah. just so people know, as far as like what other uh, products have you guys done that uh, we should be aware of? This is our flagship product. This is our first one. Um, oh. We we went into the action figure space because uh, we saw that there. Well, our our company motto was always to do um, use toys as a way to launch. Uh, content or, or to launch new new kids entertainment brand, mm-hmm. and um, we started with action figures because there were so few action figures that were new on the mm-hmm. kids aisle. It was uh, the newest thing I think. Like when I first started this company was uh, was Power Rangers, which you know came out in 1995, which is what like 20 30 years ago now. Mm-hmm. So 25 years ago, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, when I saw that, it was that was the, that was the market differentiation idea I was looking for right there. And of course, I love the name Pandemony, which is of course a play on Pandemonium, which Correct. is good stuff. So I, I, I alternation Pandemonium, you guys, you enjoy words and and, and the, the meanings of words and things like that. Which we we do like spend a lot of time on on coming up with words. Yeah. <laughs> Now, now, you guys, unfortunately, we're going to go to uh, ECCC, which pulled out, had to reschedule. Are you guys going to yeah. be making other convention appearances? And of course, this is all based on, you know, we're, we're playing this by ear as we go along with uh, certain things affecting the convention circuit this time. Where we're not exactly sure how things are going to fold out. But do you have plans to go to conventions? And, you know, that may change, but what are your plans right now as far as, like, going to other conventions? Yeah, we would love to. Uh, we were planning. I mean, a lot of people were pulling out of ECCC, and we weren't. And um, I actually had this nice, like, well thought out reason appeal to people to for why we're going and and all that. And we didn't end up getting to use it because they canceled Emerald City before I could uh, we could do this press release. But yeah, we would love to to go to as many conventions as we can. They are the best way we have right now of uh, getting people to see 
the toys in person because they, these are very, you know, action centric toys. You can't just sell them with the photo as well as you can by actually letting kids play with them. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, live appearances are important to us and we'll, and we'll keep doing them. Well, cool. Well, you know, I, I wish you guys a lot of success because I, I hate to tell you something. Even at the age of 65, which I am, I still get toys. I still Not get good. some. That's good. Yeah. I get some action figures and stuff like that. I mean, uh, Mr. McFarlane recently came out with some DC ones that I really like. And I, you know, all those good things. And I, I, I would love to see kids be able to use their imaginations the way that I, I used to cut out covers of comics. So I had little paper figures I could play with just to imagine stories and stuff like that going on. And I'd love to see kids get to be able to use their imaginations that way. And I think that action figures is one of the best ways to do that. So I applaud what you guys are doing. And the fact that the comics are tied in makes it even better to me. So I think that uh, you guys are doing great stuff. And I, I hope it's a big success because I'd like to see this continue. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, we hope so too. And um, yeah, I think it's great to get kids uh, playing like you know, screen time is fun and all, but it's great to also play with toys and, and get other activities in and yeah, appreciate it. And I also still collect toys as well. I just uh, I just bought some old GoBots because people were making fun of me for liking GoBots more than Transformers. So I had to I had to stick it to them and, and get some off eBay. That's a wrap for this episode. Until next time, keep reading your comics.